Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good evening, everybody. Good evening. This is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. Again, Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Yes, we are Black Free Thinkers, but no, we are not the Kanye and Candace Owens kind. Just thought I'd like to make sure that you were aware of that, and we will go from here. So, hey... Last week, the show that I'm doing today, this show was actually scheduled for last Sunday, and what happened was, number one, I haven't been feeling well. I've I've informed you guys of that, and I'm dealing with that, but the murder of Joshua Brown, it just, it, it caught me by surprise. Why I'm surprised this type of thing happens, I don't know, but, you know, is extremely it's frustrating, it's upsetting because I mean, it's already bad enough that what went down with the judge and that white woman and then, you know, Gene Botham's brother and that white woman and just everything that was happening, it was just like I felt like I was just kind of sucked into like a cyclone there. And my head was spinning with all of these things happening and going on with just that case alone in relation to, you know, all the other things that we're dealing with in regards to racial injustice in this country. And I think one of the biggest obstacles for me is you have the black bailiff or deputy, you know, combing the white woman's hair or brushing it or teasing it or whatever the hell she was doing, rubbing it. And then you have the judge coming off the bench to give this white officer a hug. I was just stunned, absolutely stunned at the whole situation there. And then to wake up and find out that the key witness, Joshua Brown, you know, the key witness for the Gene Botham case was gunned down. You know, something's going to have to give. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, over the past few years, well, you know, ever since the beginning, really, but over the past few years, I've brought your attention to the activists from Ferguson that are mysteriously popping up dead all over the place. This has been happening consistently. And then now we just had an episode. What is this baby's name? Hold on a second here. Uh, A woman was shot in her home in Fort Worth, Texas. And Atatiana Jefferson, you know, she was 28 years of age, and the neighbor called the police to do a wellness check because the door was open. And so there's an article out if you want to go and find it, but um, it's over here in Atlanta Black Star. And basically the neighbor is saying that, you know, they're shaking, that he's shaking because he feels that it's partly his fault. 
because he's the one who called the police to do a welfare check because the door was open and there were there was no activity criminal activity no loud music no anything and the police were walking around the house with their flashlights and, and looking around and they caught her shadow or silhouette and they shot and killed her and they administered you know CPR and 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 all of that but she was declared dead at the scene so you got Gene Botham in his pajamas, eating ice cream, minding his own damn business in his house. Police come in, or that police woman walks in, and she shoots and kills him. And then she only gets 10 years in jail, which, you know, I haven't even, I had to let it go for a minute. And I really need to look it up so that I can be more informed of the stats and what's going on here. But they gave her 10 years, and out of those 10 years, I really wonder um, how many of those she will serve, right? And in addition to that, um, did you see her testimony when she was on the stand, how she testified, and all of the tears? There is power in white women's tears, and they know this. So that's why I found it interesting when, you know, they did a profile of the black woman judge, and she started crying. And basically she stated that had Amber not been white, had she been black, she wouldn't be getting this much criticism. And there is a lot to unpack there. That's when I, That's not what I came to talk about today, but just looking at it, so black people can't be in their homes, minding their own damn business, and get shot from the outside, or they walk in and get shot. That Amber lady knew that was not her apartment. So I, I just, I'm not understanding a lot of this. And what's interesting is you have the police investigating themselves in this particular situation. Now, how does that work? Because they're never going to find fault with themselves. It's always going to come out perfect, sterling, you know, come out smelling like a rose every time. So there's an article from Above the Law and Eli, Eli Mistel. He wrote this. I love this blog. So you all may want to check it out, subscribe to it. But um, the title of the article is, The Investigation of the Murder of Joshua Brown Cannot Be Left to Dallas Police. And in this particular article, basically he's stating that there needs to be a third party to investigate what happens here, you know, what happened. And, you know, I just found it very convenient that all of a sudden now they're painting this picture of this this young man stating that they found all of this, you know, uh, all of these things. I'm not even going to repeat what they're claiming that they found. And, you know, if this young man was as deep into a life of crime as, as they were trying to paint, how was he not, well, how was his credibility not challenged when he was on the stand? He's 
testifying against a police officer. So you're saying he didn't know anything about this? I just, when I say he, I'm talking about the um, the attorneys that represented Amber. And so, you know, the whole story is just shaky about people coming up from New Orleans and and basically is, again, they killed this man. They killed Joshua Brown, and they're going to get away with it. And no one is trying to really reach out there and help. And then you wonder why you have these social movements popping up and and pushing and pushing and pushing for the police to do their job, to uncover the cover-ups, to hold people accountable, to hold people responsible for their actions. And then you wonder why people are saying Black Lives Matter when, and then you turn around and say all lives matter when you know good and well it doesn't, not in your eyes and not by your actions, right? So I decided not to do the show last Sunday because last thing I wanted to do was to be going off on this type of nonsense. So for today's show, it's entitled Not Your Kind Of, and then I have an ellipse next to it, so three dots, dot, 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 right? And it says, sorry, not sorry, I'm not your kind of black friend that you trot out when you're called out. I'm not your kind of black sacrificial lamb to take one for the team. I'm not your kind of black mammy who will volunteer to shield you from fill in the blank. I'm not your kind of Judas goat who will leave the people or the sheep to slaughter. I'm not your kind of black person who will appeal to your twisted and non-existent sense of morality and ethics. And again, a lot of that is situational. I'm not your kind of black opportunist to capitalize off of your trained tokens and Judas goats. I may as well add that in there. I'm not your kind of black activists to lead the parade advocating for rights for communities that I don't address their issues, racism, you know, sexism, what have you. I'm not your kind of black organizer who is willing to overlook blatant disrespect. I'm not your kind of black woman who is willing to sacrifice her dignity, self-worth, and self-esteem for your comfort. Never going to happen, signed Kim, right? And so there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot that falls under those bullet points, and there are even more. Because, again, you know, we only have so much time for this show, and this show is not meant to be comprehensive or exhaustive, right? And this is why, again, I tell you guys, trust but verify. And I encourage you to go out and research the things that I talk about on this show. And and while you're out there researching it, sometimes I send you down a rabbit hole, and that's done on purpose because there are other things that I want you to see. And, again, you know, I've had people tell me, well, Kim, I'm not really understanding what you're talking about. I understand, you know, in some cases. But if you go out and you do the research and you do some of the readings on your own, you will have a better understanding 
You have some people out here, well, I already know about all of that. Why can't we talk about something else? Because there are other people out here who don't know. And what's interesting is some of the people who claim to know all about these things, you know, again, I'll see you bring up a subject matter saying you didn't know anything about it when I know we've covered it ad nauseum on this show. So, you know, it's just interesting because you still have people out here that want to dictate what you say and do, but then really have no interest in it because they haven't learned anything. Only thing they've learned is basically how to attempt to bully people around. You know, like I said, it's all fun and games until you're no longer holding the gun. When you become the object caught up in the fight, then that's when it's a different story, right? So there are a lot of things happening. A few things I want to get to. Um, if you want to call in, the call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. If you want to speak, you have to press 1. If you don't press 1, then, yeah, I see you, but I'm not pulling you into the conversation. Why? Because you didn't press 1. So there are a lot of things happening, and like I said, what happened there with Joshua Brown, you know, that's just, you know, that's criminal. They murdered him. They just straight up murdered him. And he was one of the key witnesses in the civil suit that's being brought, you know, against the Dallas Police Department. And so I find it interesting how all of a sudden, you know, they're finding all of these things in his apartment, you know, all the money and the extra and all of that. If Joshua was leading that type of life, they would have known that, and they would have used that against him. And so we can't allow this to go unanswered. Even the same thing with the Atatiana Jefferson. And so, yeah, the officer has been placed on administrative leave. What happened? Because what I don't understand is, you know, we've forced the police department to give video footage of different situations, and and there have been some officers that have been put on trial. Um, the majority, like 90, 99.9% of them, <laughs> have been exonerated, you know, not indicted. What is it going to take? Because basically, you know, they've been able to basically put out in the public, to the public, that they were able to kill black and brown, red and yellow people with impunity, and there is nothing that we can do. They can walk inside your house, claim that they thought it was their house, and shoot and kill you. They can see shadows moving in your house and shoot to kill. They can do whatever the hell they want. So how do we combat that? And so, um, you know, there are a number of um, articles out here talking about what you can do instead of calling the police, um, the different resources that are out there. And I'm going to post this a little bit later. I'm trying to find it over here. 
so I can tell you where to go. All right, so over on tripproject.ca, um, basically they have an article called What to Do Instead of Calling the Police, Some Options, right? And this was posted on January 12th, 2018. And so they have a syllabus, and it's a guide to a number of different organizations and resources of what to do instead of calling the police, you know, and alternatives to policing projects. Because there are some of us out here, and I being one, that feels as though the police should be abolished. Okay, now there are people out there that do not agree with that, and that's fine. However, you know, if you go back and you look at the history in this country, and you go back to the days of when they had the slave catchers or, you know, I call them militiamen or, or bounty hunters or whatever you want to call them, they were out there chasing down slaves, chasing down, um, you know, so-called criminals to bring them back. All of this is tied together. And we've talked about this on a number, you know, on a number of occasions on this show. You need to go back and look into the history of policing and policing in this country. And also, I need for the black people to understand that it's not just happening to black people. It's happening to brown, yellow, red, and white people, especially poor white people. And that's not to make excuses for them, you know, but I'm just, you know, I, I know some folks that have gotten so frustrated with me over the years and they're like, well, why do you address the white people? Why do you bring up some of the things that happened to them? And I guess my answer to that question is because it's happening to them. It's happening to us on a much wider and grander scale, but it's happening to some of them as well. And some of them, yeah, they'd rather be poor and white than rich and black because they understand the wealth and whiteness, the wealth of having white skin, while at the same time will argue you down about how they did not have a great life. They weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouths. But they're smart enough to understand that they'd rather have white skin and be poor and deal with the trials and tribulations of of life. So it's just, it's really interesting when you start trying to put all that together, when you start trying to talk to these people about these things. Because, you know, how do you explain white privilege to a poor person? And there are all kinds of articles out there that, that help you to put together these arguments, or, and I don't like to argue or debate, but to put forth information and educational materials to explain to them what's happening and why it happened this way and what exactly privilege is and how they have this particular type of privilege. And it's important for them to understand that. And, again, that goes back into, you know, you'll have them say, well, I'm not racist. White people, you do not get to determine what is and is not racist. And being not racist is not good enough anymore. You have to be anti-racist. So um, uh, Kendi Ebram wrote a book, How to Be Anti-Racist. I encourage you to go purchase that book and read it. 
Robin D'Angelo wrote a book about white fragility. I encourage you to go out and read that book. Um, let me pull up, you know, because it's funny. I used to post all kinds of things from Google Reads and and different books. I'm like, well, if you can't buy the book, here's a you know good abstract or a good way for you to be able to read excerpts of the book so at least you'll have some of it as opposed to none of it. And, you know, it was just interesting because I used to do a lot of that. And I I had some folks complaining, you know, complaining like, why is she posting all of that? Why is she talking about slavery? Why is she, you know, talking about this and talking about that? And, and I'm just, it's like, look, if you want to be ignorant, that's fine, but I'm trying to combat that. I'm trying to give you weapons that you can use to empower yourself so that you can basically be able to educate others, you know, not only yourself, but, you know, other people around you, and in some cases to educate some white people that you may be having a conversation with. And what's interesting is sometimes we get so caught up in a situation that we um, basically we don't have the information needed to put forth an argument. And one thing I will say about white people, even mediocre white people, is they say what they say with confidence. Like they have all the details, they know all the answers, and they got it together, and they know what they're talking about, and you're just stupid. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's how people get caught up. So I'm giving you this information so that you can have a fair fight here. Um, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Metzl. Now, I've recommended one of his books before, The Protest Psychosis. He's written another book called Dying of Whiteness. And it's actually a really good book. I purchased it, but I have not had the opportunity to really delve into it. You know, um, I have the audio book. And so I guess I'm going to have to let it read itself to me. On one of the three trips to Chicago, I have to make it the next month. So on my way to doctor's appointments, I'll let Jonathan and, you know, a number of other books that I've purchased on audiobook you know, let them get me from point A to point B. But um, it's, 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 it's interesting with, you know, Jonathan Metzl's book here, Dying of Whiteness. He's talking about how the politics of racial resentment is killing America's heartland. And I live in Illinois, so I live in the Midwest. This is considered the heartland. You know, I miss Chicago. And after my mom passed away, you know, I had been debating even up till now, about whether or not I wanted to return to the city. But I'm not going to because my mom wanted me out of the city, and she finally got me to move back home. I hate the circumstances, but personally, I believe that um, she, that was one of her last wishes, I guess, was to get me back home and so that I'll be safe. She didn't want me in the city. And even though I have relatives up there, you know, it's a lot different because everybody has their own lives. And then I was getting sick. 
so that didn't help either. So anyway, go out, read some of these books. Maybe later on in the show, I will read off some of the books that I've purchased in the last six months so that you guys can, um, you know, maybe purchase some of them on your own. You may have some. You want to hit me up to talk about it, let me know. And I laugh. Sometimes I look at my news feed and I see some of you all are looking into Salvador, Brazil. Yes, 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 yes. I will be there next year. I was in Cachoeira de Bahia this year for two weeks. I was going to spend a week in Salvador, but a long story, and I'm not going to get into it. So I'm going to get a little bit more into the show today, but I want to do one public service announcement. And basically, you know, way back when, I used to post jobs on my wall. And, you know, there were a couple of times when I posted information about Section 8 um, being available in different places around the country because there were a lot of people hurting then. When was that? That had to have been like 2011, 2012, 2013, specifically in that three-year period. And, you know, again, you know, I don't engage much. I don't talk much on social media. There's a reason for that because I learned my lesson the hard way. People will engage you and suck you into their conversations for hours and weeks. Raina used to do that, and that was the most hilarious thing ever, but I don't have the patience, so I just don't engage. Well, anyway, I posted an article on my wall talking about basically railroad companies are desperate for workers, and they're offering hiring bonuses up to $25,000. I posted it on my page. I put it on the Black Free Thinkers page as well as the People of Color Beyond Faith. We've already had over 640 shares just off of my page alone. So, guys, if you're looking for a job, if you're unemployed or you're underemployed, or if you know someone that needs a gig, you know, right here it's in Union Pacific is offering higher incentives between ten and twenty thousand dollars for train crews in places like Denver, Kansas City, and North Platte, Nebraska. They're offering electricians a signing signing bonus up to $25,000 at certain Union Pacific locations, including Hinkle, Oregon. So, you know, um, apply. Give this information to someone who may be needing a job. You know, they may be unemployed or underemployed. You know, no, I don't get paid to make this type of announcement. I just know people are hurting. You know, they have locations like Alliance, Nebraska, you know, and they're offering ten to $15,000 hiring bonuses for mechanical employees to maintain the diesel locomotives and rail cars. So go out and it's on the wall, you know, on all three. So I, I hope that that helps you, and I hope it's helped someone else. So anyway... So, yes, 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 yes. You know, what's interesting is in the Joshua, not the Joshua Brown, but the Jane Botham um, situation there is, again, you had the bailiff, you know, rubbing the white chick's hair. You had the judge come down and give her a hug. You had Jane Botham's brother giving her a hug. And then you had Jane Botham's daddy talking about he wants to get to know her. Or can they be friends? He would like to be friends. 
And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at this absolutely stunned. But they are not talking about Gene Botham's mama because his mother is out here talking about she wants justice, and she deserves that. She wants justice, and the rest of us should want justice right along with her. Right, and so, and this is what angers me because we we get all of these calls from these different people talking about we should be forgiving, we should you know take the high road, we should turn the other cheek, and let me tell you, that white woman's tears it has power, it has value. Our tears do not have value. It does not have power, and you know what's interesting is. When we had that incident in South Carolina, when they killed, when they murdered those people in the church, you had Al Sharpton and some of these other folks running out, rushing the family to the podium, to the microphone, to say that they forgive these idiots. And it's not just, you know, these these public figures that are doing this, you have a lot of these pastors and ministers, you know, the black church in and of itself that have this doctrine of forgiveness and how we're supposed to forgive white people. And so when you have people like Jean Botham or Botham Jean's mother, I sorry, I always get that mixed up, forgive me, but Botham Jean's mother saying out here that she wants justice. And you've had people out here saying, like, Eric Garner's wife, she says, hell no, I don't forgive you. They're right. They're right. I mean, white people already know that they, you know, it's an unspoken, well, shit, I won't even say it's unspoken. They know that they can, you know, beat us, they can kill us, they can do whatever they want. They, if we have something they want, they can take it and have it justified. And then have it so that we are now the ones (laughs) having to answer to the police, being arrested, because we wouldn't give them something that they wanted, right? And the black church is complicit in some of this. Now, when I say that, I know some of you are like, whoa, when I say that, I want to make sure I put it in the correct context, okay? So, In the days when blacks were enslaved and they had churches or they the white slave masters allowed the blacks to go to church and and you have to remember you have to go back to the context the black pastors would have to preach what the white pastors or the white slave masters told them to preach like forgiveness and temperance and and obeying, you know, obedience and all of these things. And so they were being, you know, told that being obedient is is godliness and and that if you weren't obedient and the slave master, you know, killed you or hurt you or sold all of your children away, you know, again, it was you lacking faith, it was you not being obedient, it was something that you did to create that type of situation, 
And the black church, I understand. I when I say I understand, what I mean is for many of the black churches, many of them rely on tradition and what they've been taught. And they will say, well, this is what we were taught, and we turned out okay. Or this is what we were taught, and we think this is the right thing to do. Now, on my last show, I made a couple of points, but I didn't take it far enough, right? So when I was talking about the purpose of the black church and the black community, and and why I'm not anti-black church. I want to make sure it's understood. I am against the abuse of power. I am against the abuse of authority. I am against all abuse. And there is quite a bit of that in the church. So I'm not advocating for that. But what I'm saying is that with many of the black churches in, in some places, you know, they have programs where they'll, they'll work with the food depository, they'll distribute few food to the people in the neighborhood that are in need. Um, many of them have their LIHEAP offices located at the church so the people in the community can come in and get help with their gas and light bill. You know, those are the things that I advocate for. Now, I know some of you are like, well, wait a minute, Kim, aren't you a humanist? Aren't you a free thinker? I'm all of those things. But I also know what's happening on the other side of the fence. And you have these atheists and agnostics and humanists, and especially some of the ones of color, that want to basically shut down the churches, especially the churches in the black and brown communities. Yet these same people have absolutely nothing to offer. They have not set up LIHEAP programs. They have not set up, you know, food distribution with the food depositories. They have not set up training programs to help people that have been recently released from, you know, whether it's prison or, you know, even a county jail in their awaiting whatever. You know, they have no programs to help these people. They have no programs to help the elderly, you know, and, and, you know, there are some of them out there that are doing this. But I'm talking specifically about black and brown atheists and humanists in this regard because I'm talking specifically about the black church. I'm talking specifically about the black atheists and humanists and free thinkers. Now, there are a few of them that are out there that are feeding the homeless. There are a few of them out there that, you know, try to do things here and there, and that's all well and wonderful, and I commend you for that. But as I've stated in the past, how are you going to try to run these churches out of the community when you are putting nothing in place to help the people, to help the people in the neighborhood, to help the people that are just passing by? Hell, it could be someone that, you know, they came to the city, to visit someone, oh, hell broke loose, the car broke down, they don't have enough money to get back home, you know, what can you do to help them? Even if it's giving them a one-way Greyhound ticket back to where they came from, or maybe one of your members is a mechanic and help them out, 
They can put together a payment plan. You know, they know they may not get it, but it's no big deal. It's about helping someone. You know, but a lot of what I've been seeing is about people wanting money and power and to elevate themselves. And that's the same behavior we see from, you know, the black Christian community. You know, let's just call it what it is. But anyway, you know, forgiveness. You know, you have Christians teaching forgiveness, and and they say that it's a healing mechanism, right? But healing for who? Because the only thing that happens is they turn around and kill you and kill others again. So then what? What do you do? I see you called. Give me a second here. What do you do then? Because your calls, you know, your calls for forgiveness don't mean a damn thing to these folks, not one. So what do you do? So, all right, we have a caller. I'm going to bring them into the conversation. Hello, caller. May I ask your name and turn your radio down for me, please? And what would you like to talk about? Peace and power. I hope uh, my my audio is coming in pretty clear. Is Is it okay, sis? It sounds good. Thank you. And your name? My name is Steve, and I'm calling from uh, South Carolina. Hi. Well, welcome. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was uh, definitely listening to your conversation, and, uh, you know, even um, when, when you spoke of uh, the dynamics of uh, the brother, Gene Botham, that just got mm-hmm. killed or not just got killed, but, you know, his case just went to court. And yes, uh, there have been plenty of others of us, of our people, that, and, and from what from what I saw in, in the brother, and this is just my honest opinion, and as it relates to that, and as it relates to the, the situation with the sisters, and, uh, you know, I, I have four daughters of my own, and um, there is a naivety that is there that lies within our people. And, it's, and, and right. this place of naivety is, is the same place that allows your oppressor or our oppressor, it allows that beast, it allows that, that, that infection that has continuously to plague us, continually uh, to plague us. It only happens again because before it has, gotten us sick and got us on death bed, we'll be opening ourselves up to the same disease. You know, I remember my grandmother would tell me about putting on a jacket before I went out, but it wouldn't be enough to not wear your jacket and go out and almost get the flu. Well, get the flu and almost feel like you're going to die, but, you know, you'll run back out and do the same idiotic stuff again, and I'm sure <laughs> that this is, this is, you know, this is... This is the answer. So even when we look at the European, and you and I, I'm pretty sure, can share the same sentiments of, you know, how despicable, in my opinion, the cracker, the beast, you know, is. But this is done come lately that has come out of the cage. So I, I do realize that the reason he is existing is because something we are ceasing on. Because we are ceasing to exist, we allow him to exist. But whenever we go back to get our knowledge of substantial existence, this would make us uh, more 
than than vulnerable in these types of situations, whether it be to the domestic terrorists, whether it be to the you know the sisters that are out on the street and you know wearing some of the skimpy clothes and you know putting themselves in some of these crazy relationships. You you understand because it can be popular. Cardi B is you know a a a, a model for our little girls now. Even so much so where our black women are idolizing and lifting up this Hispanic uh, trashy woman that is basically coming into our culture and creating an anti-culture or something that is, you know, going to go against our cultivation. So rather than having music that would allow us to cultivate, now we're singing songs of trash and that allow us to, you know, encourage us to go in and tear our communities up. Allow us to, you know, you know, Cardi B had prided herself at, you know, drugging guys up and, and robbing them. If these young girls try that nowadays, they could get their heads cut, anything. So this would not be the message that should be promoted to our children. But this is just the reality of what we are. This is just the reality. But, you know, wait, they had the slut pride, so, so, ma'am. So let me, let me, let me, let me, let me jump in here real quick. All right, okay. so there are different ways that you can look at that situation, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the skimpy clothes and all of those things. A woman should be able to wear skimpy clothes or even walk down the street without any clothes on without fear of harm coming to her, without her being hurt. So this is why you hear the argument coming from women and feminists saying that the, the, the bulk of that responsibility lies on the man because the man should not rape. We should be teaching men not to rape, hurt, or harm women or anyone else. So they and, should be allowed and, to mm-hmm. – go ahead. No, and, that, and that's, that's perfectly correct in a natural environment, which we know us as African, as indigenous as black people, whatever we want to call ourselves, we come from those types of natures. Well, we aren't bothered by seeing the opposite sex being exposed or being naked, but that's not the place that we're in. So when I'm telling and encouraging my four daughters, it's no way that, you know, because I I know that there's this rhetoric that is promoted in the feminist inside the slut pride, the slut shaming, the thing that Amber Rose was actually promoting, saying that it's okay for a woman to go out here and wear, if she wanted to, nothing at all, if she wanted to be a slut, and if she wanted to, it's okay. This is not okay for my daughter because the dynamic in which we, that is being controlled is a one that is being controlled by Greco-Roman uh, uh, identity. So this is just the reality of when our daughters may feel it's okay to, you know, flaunt their curves or, or be proud about their, you know, it's not okay because we are in a place where pedophiles are running loose, where they are talking about, you know, some of these white folks and pedophiles and sex offenders are hardly even tried. Some rape cases, they go and they are never tried. So, you know, it's not of an exactly. important thing here in this society for you know, these types of situations to be handled, what you're seeing is basically the same thing that Trump said. Trump said, grab them by the P, U-S-S-Y. Right. So right there, you see the type of 
I'm going to say toxic masculinity that is possessed by there those that are in, com- in control and in power. So it is very important for us not to be naive and feel, you know, and, 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 and I'm going to say tag along into some of those European standards where, hey, it's okay for me to wear a G-string or a thong or go out here with my breasts. No, you're only going to entice some of these beasts. They have the human sex trafficking thing going on now where these women get missing. So, of course, I wouldn't be encouraging or promoting to any sister. It's okay. And, and, and like I said, this is something sometimes I run into because I don't want to be the bad guy to my daughters. But at the same time, we must not be naive and not knowing that, hey, there there's some vicious animals all around us. So not only even those that are in, in, in the, of, of our women, that goes for our brothers and sisters that allow ourselves to be around these white folk. And I was, I was going back to Gene Botham. It's okay. We befriend them. We have a good time. You go over there and you get drunk with them. But guess what? When you start getting drunk with them white folk, they true self start coming out. And they're amongst each other. They'll mess around and hang you. And then they'll forget about you. And don't, don't, you know, and this is just the thing that we have to be honest with ourselves on. They're not like us. So we are only finding ourselves in these relationships because a lot of times we forget who we are and we become so much like them that now they accept you. You understand? And, and, and in that case, you'll wind up being like the sister that was about to marry uh, the, the white fiancé and she had gone over to a pool party, but then she wound up mysteriously drowning and he had gone somewhere nobody knew a thing. And these cases, that a lot of times because... They, they, their parents are tied into somebody powerful. These cases don't get the right justice for our black brothers and sisters. Just as we see the cases that go on untried or, uh, you know, where the, the, the police are being acquitted. So, like I said, I just want to express our import, the importance of, you know, not being so naive, especially at these days and times, because we are not around family. We're around a whole bunch of savages, a whole bunch of wolves in sheep's clothing that they are going to act as if they are your friend, act as if they're down for your movement, for your agenda, but they're only going to look to leech and blood suck from you, as they always have done. That's why we're here in 2019, and dogs have more rights than, than black folk. You understand? You have transgender where this is a man that says, hey, I want to have the the right for me to cut off my penis. And, you know, he's made it past but, the colorism right. or, you know, right. so, so, wait, so wait, they, wait, wait, they got wait, more wait, liberty wait, than wait, we wait. I got to, I have to address the trans thing. I have to, you know, mm-hmm. there are many things that you said that I absolutely agree with you as far as like us being naive. But the uh-huh. thing is that with trans, trans people, you know, my last show, I had someone call in about this and basically you know, I feel that trans people, there are people, they're human like the rest of us. A trans woman is a woman and a trans man is a man. Now, there are some people out there that do not agree with that. That's perfectly fine. But the thing is, is that there, is, there have been so many black trans women that are popping up dead. Oh, he hung up. But they're, they're popping up dead. And, you know, we need to address that. That needs to be addressed. That needs to be, you know, um, rectified. And they shouldn't have to be out here 
you know, marching and protesting just like the rest of us. Now, going back to something that the caller said in regards to how some black people forget who they are and they join up with these white people or these white movements or these white organizations, and, and, and some of what he said I agree with because you have a lot of black and brown people that will carry the water for white folks in these particular movements. They'll, you know, you have some, again, as I stated earlier, that are desperate for power, money, celebrity, and we have this really sick celebrity worship in this country. But you have, you know, black people and brown people and, you know, other colors too that will go out and, and, and put their name, sign their name on the, you know, on the bottom line of a white movement and then sit there and, under, and not understand when these same white people turn against them. Or the white people are promising them, well, once we get to this particular level, then we'll help you, and then that never manifests itself. And this has happened over and over, time and time again, to black communities and black organizers and activists that are out there. If you, you know, um, I'll give you an example. You know, the gay rights movement as we know it right now. The gay rights movement as we know it right now started out with black and brown trans women fighting the police back. And what happened is you had these white men that joined in on a movement and then centered themselves, and they centered themselves to make the movement more palatable to white mainstream America. And that same thing is happening in a number of these different communities. You know, that's happening in the disability movement within that community. It's happening in the atheist community and that particular movement, which is dead, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. You have that happening in the feminist movement, that community there, LGBTQ, all of that. As a matter of fact, you have some LGBTQ members of that particular group that want to kick the, the T's out which is interesting, but I wanted to let the young man that did call, I wanted to let him know that, you know, quite a bit of what he said I do agree with, and he's telling a bunch of truths because the thing is is that there are two different realities, two different worlds in this country, and once you have black, some black people who feel as though they've reached a certain plateau or they've earned their way or they've paid their dues, they want and feel as though they should have the same rights and privileges as white people. Now, some of those white people will extend them some of the privilege because of proximity, whether you're married into them or you're one of their, you know, water carriers, if you will, and and, and they'll extend you some, but don't get too out of hand. Why? Because they made you and they can break you, and they make sure that you understand that and that you know that. And so, you know, he's correct when he talks about, you know, the reality that we're living in and and how things should be are much different than how they really are. And so we do have to hold on to that reality and understand that because you see this every day. I mean, you'll you'll see a white guy that shot up half damn block, running around naked, waving his gun all over the place, spitting at the police officer, throw shit at another one, pee on the other one, and then they take him in without incident. You have a black person (laughs) 
you know, get stopped by the police, your headset getting ready to fall out of your ear, you reach up to grab it, and now you're shot dead. And if you're scared of, you know, of the people and you're a police officer, maybe that's not the type of work you should be doing. But, you know, but he's right. You know, and what happens in a lot of these social movements is they will get certain black and brown people. They will trot them out. Like I said, I'm not that kind of black friend that you can trot out when you get called out because they'll trot these black and brown, red and yellow people out as human shields, as filters to stop the the accusations of racism or sexism or what have you, you know, that happens out there. And, yes, you have some blacks that they use as sacrificial lambs, you know, but, but of course, some of the blacks and brown people that are being used as sacrificial lambs, they don't think that they're sacrificial lamb because some of them are like, I'm not following the white people. I'm following this black person over here. And we did a whole show about the Judas goat. And how <laughs> you'll have goats that are painted black, and all the sheep will follow that particular trained goat. And the trained goat will go into the secret passage, but all the other sheep basically, you know, take the route that has been forged out and they've been told to take, and then they are slaughtered. And so, yes, we have to be honest, we have to be open, we can't be naive about this, because this is what's happening. And it's the same things happening over and over again. The black community does not owe the white community anything. We don't owe them forgiveness. And as I was stating earlier, Christianity hinders a lot of the racial justice that we're trying to seek in this country. Because you have people over here telling you to forgive and forget. And, you know, and, and, and then you end up doing the same things over and over. And what did Einstein say? He said doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result is insanity. And a lot of this is being taught in the church. And, again, we've talked about faith-based initiatives on this program. I really need you guys to go back and look that up and see how all of this plays together. Um, but we don't owe them forgiveness. We don't owe them anything. We need to stop doing it because the only way we're ever really going to stop any of some of these, you know, atrocities that we're dealing with is we got to make white people scared again. They have to stop believing that they can do and say whatever the fuck they want to us and get away with it. And there are black people that are out here doing the same thing. And so we have to learn how to deal with these things. And this is one of the reasons why I know some of, some of you all are like, well, some of the stuff that she talks about is random. No, it's not random. <laughs> this stuff is tied in. And, you know, and if you go out there on the Christian Post, they had an article talking about only 16% of Christians say church should repent for America's racist past. 16%. You know, and I need for you all to go back, and I need for you all to tie all of this together. There is a reason why white Christianity or westernized Christianity there's a reason why it's set up the way that it is. And, you know, when I say westernized Christianity, I'm talking about other Western countries like 
France and Germany and, you know, England and places like that. Um, But with American Christianity, there is a twist on that shit. You know, and they have it over there too, but over here, there's a twist on it, and they've taken that same poison, and they've taken it to Africa. And it needs to be addressed. You know, you have people out here that are wrongly believing that the Christian community, black, white, red, yellow, brown, in general, in America, they believe that that community began to get political power was when they went up against Roe versus Wade, so the abortion issue. And that's not true. I need for you all to go back and do your research on the moral majority. That's why I told you guys, watch that Netflix series, The Family. Watch it. It will explain a lot of things. The political power that you see the white Christians mainly wielding in this country is because of school desegregation. They wanted to continue to segregate their students. That's the reason why now I posted an article talking about how over um, in North Carolina, as well as um, one particular district in Maryland, how the parents are having a fit because of what they consider as forced busing. And it's one of the richest counties in the country. And so read this. Go out. Put it all together. Tie it all together. I've done it on the show a number of times. And, again, you know, I have no problem coming back to address it. But I need for you all to understand how white Christianity in this country was put together and how it was sold and packaged. So there is an article that, you know, I'll I'll post all of this a little bit later, but basically how corporate America invented Christian America. And it takes it all the way back to the New Deal and how the church wanted to fight the New Deal. The question should be why did Christian America want to fight the New Deal? And But Christian America was set up as a front to shield corporate America. It's important that you understand this. And so I'm going to post this article. But, um, you know, what I need for you to understand additionally about the New Deal and how all of that came about is that is how they put together the white middle class. That is how they came up with that designation. And it's important for you all to understand that. You know, I've had people get angry with me when I talk about the suburbs and how the suburban enclaves circle the inner city. It circles the urban communities, which is basically black and brown. So you're, you know, you're, you're circled in. It's kind of like a reservation, you know, reservation or barrio or, you know, however you want to put that. And what's happening now with gentrification is you're being deported from the neighborhoods that you've lived in for four or five generations. You need to understand what's happening here and how they come in and they'll push you out or they'll, you know, basically I feel a lot of what's happening to black people in this country is genocide and how it's being justified and how you have black and brown people 
turning their heads. And, you know, again, some is naive, being naive, the, the caller was correct. Some of it is people just burying their heads in the sand, playing ostrich. But you need to understand what's happening. And, you know, these white Christians, specifically these white evangelicals, they're not confused. They know exactly why they voted for Trump. And you shouldn't be confused either. And it's unfortunate because you have the mainstream media trying to sell to people, primarily black and brown people, trying to sell to us the that, you know, we need to show empathy for these white nationalists and these white racists. And that's why I say I'm not your kind of friend that's going to go out here in front for these people. Not going to do it. You know, and if you keep your eyes open, if you pay attention, you'll see what is happening and how they use certain people as fronts. And what you need to understand is some of the people that they're fronting, that they're putting out there in front of you, they're being compensated, sometimes financially, sometimes in other ways. And you need to understand what you're dealing with. And I'll be the first one to tell you, everybody has a price. Everybody does. So if someone would tell you that they would not sell out, you can't believe them. Yes, they will. If the right circumstance or the amount comes their way. And that's just the truth. And black America should stop forgiving these white races. We actually need to, you know, if you if you still consider yourself a Christian, that's fine. Consider yourself a Muslim, that's fine. Consider yourself an atheist, that's fine. Agnostic, hey, that's cool too. Free thinker, humanist, however you identify. But there must be more pressure put on these politicians, and specifically now with this 2020 race. You know, again, we need to put some pressure on them, and we need to hold, you know, hold them, hold them accountable. And I know some of you are like saying, well, what about Barack Obama? I was saying the same thing when he was there. His first term, I was kind of quiet. And I was hoping that he would do what he was supposed to do. And, you know, and I understood they lost the majority in the House. But before they lost the majority, you held the majority in both houses. And you held out because you want to reach across the aisle. And there are a number of people, you know, black people and brown people that have that same mentality. And every time the white people have turned around and slapped you with a bat. So I don't know how many times that has to happen for you to understand that we are dealing with a group of people that, you know, have absolutely no freaking regard to your life or your livelihood or, you know, or anything pertaining to you. You need to understand that, and it's unfortunate. And what I find interesting is, you know, um, it was a tweet that went out the other day. I'm looking for it now so I can read it to you guys. And it just fell right in line with some of the things that we've talked about on this show. And um, I think it's important, and I am going to read it to you guys. And... um, Hold on a second. It should be in my bookmarks. That's the one thing I do hate about Twitter now. Sometimes these things, they move it around and you can't find it. So basically, you know, this 
was a person of color, and they were talking about um, white people, of course, and they were talking about how you have white people out here that just like to act blank, right? And they love talking about how they're Christian and how they believe in religion and, and, and how they're patriots. And, you know, having a child in the military now is a status symbol for some of these folks. But they're patriots. So it was this this person on um, Twitter, Allie Watson, and I retweeted it so you can find it out there. But right here they wrote, White people believe in a religion that tells them that they were born in sin and must spend a lifetime redeeming themselves. But tell an American they were born into sin by the deeds of their ancestors, and it's too unbelievable to grasp, especially patriots. That's true. That is absolutely true. So what I find interesting, because it's like, you know, you have some black and brown folks, even some white folks, but mainly black and brown folks, because this is what I know. These are the people that I associate with, you know, um, period, for the most part. And and basically trying to get white people to, to stop feigning ignorance and to own up to the fact that there is white privilege, there is white supremacy, and they benefit from it. You know, it, it, it's like pulling teeth, right? And and so when you explain it to them in these terms, then they're extremely offended by it. But also, you know, what I will say to the black and brown people out here that cake for white people like this, I, I, I don't understand it. Because you're trying to give these white people a pass and you even have some of these same black and brown people that will go and, you know, they'll they'll allow them to send them to NPR or, or you know, any of these other news stations to be a talking head to talk about how white privilege doesn't exist or to talk about there's no such thing as white supremacy or they'll go on there and start talking about black people, black and brown folks should be bootstrapping. You need to pay attention to who those black people are. Pay attention to who they're married to, you know, who they're dating. Pay attention to who pays them. You need to pay attention to who they associate and affiliate with. You need to pay attention to who they bow down to because, trust me, they bow down to someone. And they take their marching orders and they come out here. And then you have some other black folks that understand perfectly what these other ones are doing and why it's wrong, but they don't care because they are opportunists, self-serving opportunists, and they want to capitalize off of that, knowing good and damn well that what this person is talking about and what they're doing is bullshit, and they've even stated that until it was time for them to get what they wanted. So, it's just interesting because it's like, who do you turn to? It's like, you know, do we have any allies? Do we have any friends? Not so much. And we have to understand that. And, you know, going back to the caller today and other callers that we've had in the past, you're absolutely correct. There are times when we go out here 
and we will speak up for some of these white movement, movements and white organizations, knowing good and damn well that these people do not mean us any any good. Now, you know, again, hmm, sometimes you feel cornered, right? And this is what happened to many of the black feminists during, you know, the 50s and the 60s and the 70s with the different movements. You have the civil rights movement and the black power movement, and many black women were told that they had to choose between the feminist movement and, you know, and and black power and black civil rights movement. And trying to figure out how to say this, I'm trying to, I guess today is one of my good days where I'm trying to kind of halfway nuance shit, and we all know I don't give a damn about nuancing things because it hasn't worked for 400 years. Why should it work now? But basically, it all boils down to you'll have white people basically making promises to black people of if you help us with this, we'll help you with that, and it never manifests itself. And then some of those are the same white people that turn will turn around and call you stupid or call you ignorant or will tell you what you're striving for, what you want is mission drift. Yet they want you to go out here and cake for them. They want you to speak up for them. You know, oh, well, if you don't believe me, listen to my black friend out here, then they trot out that black friend. Like I said, I'm not that I'm not that black friend. I'm not your kind of black friend that's going to go out there. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to join in. I'm going to point the finger at the white person and say, you're wrong. You are wrong, and this is why. And then we have to deal with the white tears and the white fragility. And many white women specifically understand that once they turn on the waterworks, that that's going to back people up because those white tears have gotten black people killed. Those same white tears that they're, you know, that they're crying and putting out there now, you know, this is one of the reasons why there has been no significant movement. And what's, you know, what's really perplexing is some of these same white women that have discriminated against black and brown people, but they don't know that the black people know that it was because of them that certain things didn't manifest. At the same time, they get angry and upset and say they don't understand why they weren't supported by this social justice community or this particular feminist community or this particular other community over here. You know, they're Miss Millie. I've been nothing but good to you people. after you force that black woman or that black man, but more than likely a black woman, once you forced her to subjugate herself to you, and now she is held in captivity until you decide you are done with her or she is no longer useful. Happens more often than you all realize. And so this is why, you know, it's interesting, especially when, you know, I put in here talking about black mammies. And it's so funny because, you know, um, and that could be a male too, you know. And basically they'll they'll come out here and call themselves defending white people 
while in the back of their in the back of their mind, they're like, "Oh, I should get some extra Scooby snacks for doing that," or "Or I should be a hero because I'm standing up, standing up for the white people who have thrown you under the bus time and time again." Some things you know about, some things you don't, but it's just a matter of time, you know, but it's just, it's interesting, you know, so what they do is they've trained us, they've trained the black community to forgive, to forget, to give in, you know, if you really want to see some of the injustices, you know, Wilmington on Fire is a good documentary that was filmed by Christopher Everett, and, you know, it talks about you know, Wilmington and how the black people were killed and chased out, had their land stolen. And it just wasn't Wilmington. This happened all across the country. There were some incidents in Mississippi, you know, you know, talk about my family and some of the things that happened. And so that's why, you know, I just post things. And, you know, I told you about the humanist group that I was pretty much kicked out of, Uh, but (laughs) And because I wasn't taking white people's feelings into consideration, and and basically, you know, the group leader had a coffee with me and wanted to talk about a quote-unquote covenant they had. And it's not a covenant. She was trying to explain, you know, uh, the Jewish concept, and she did horribly at it. But what she was really talking about is a white oath. Sometimes it's spoken, sometimes it's not. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of that happening. It's a lot of that going on, and you have some black people that are playing into this because, again, they're trying to capitalize off of it. So, again, you know, what's going on out there, I need you guys to pay attention. Um, it doesn't matter if they try to throw on, you know, God or Jesus to make it sound better. No, it's, it's still bullshit. You know, and some of these communities, some of these people, some of these actions, you know, are are state-sanctioned. And we need you to understand that. And so I know some people are like, well, Kim, when you say state-sanctioned, what do you mean? What I mean when I say state-sanctioned is basically the government has allowed for that to happen. The government has put policies and people and and laws in place to, in effect, disenfranchise black and brown, red and yellow people. You know, and again, I talked about how the middle class was created, particularly around the New Deal in that particular era. And even now, you'll have white people that are filthy rich and own thousands of acres of land and will tell you that their family worked hard to get that when that's not the case. A lot of that was homesteading. So I need you to look that up too. And also look up black homesteaders and how many of them have lost their property. And and even now what's happening with the Cheddar Tater Tot and what he's doing with this tariffs war, there are a lot of farmers, particularly black and brown farmers, that are losing their property. You know, they're they're being bankrupted, and you need to understand why, you know. And so um, basically, I just, you know, I would like to appeal to you guys to do more research. I need you to see how the white church or the white Christian community 
specifically the evangelicals, but it's all encompassing, you know. You know, I'm not making any excuses there. But how they benefit and how they profit from racism, how they profit and benefit from sexism, you know, patriarchy, all of these things. And that's not to let the black church off the hook because the black church is benefiting from that as well. You know, I, I don't I don't believe I posted it, but go out and do a search. You have black churches, the entire congregations, now endorsing Trump. And, you know, I read a lot. I don't post nearly as much as I used to, but I do post a lot on our Reddit page. So if you want to see a lot of the articles and things, you can go to reddit.com slash blackfreethinkers. I haven't done a lot of posting in the past few days, but I have a shitload of stuff to put up there. So expect a little flurry of posts over there in the next several days. But um, black churches benefit from that as well. And, you know, I need you to understand that. And especially since 45 has started opening the floodgates in regards to the Johnson Amendment pretty much being suspended. It has not been officially suspended, but it's been suspended. So I just thought I'd clarify that. Some people are like, well, it hasn't been official. No, it hasn't been officially done. But you have all these preachers. You know, I'll give you a couple of names. Paula White, Kenneth Copeland, they're all up there preaching, you know, um, preaching for Donald Trump, supporting Donald Trump, especially Kenneth Copeland's daughter and, you know, and, and her husband. And, you know, there's a lot that goes on with that particular situation. But, um I need you guys to pay attention, and I need you to question these things. And so, again, it goes beyond that. And so, you know, I'm going to kind of wind it down a little bit, but, um, you know, I'm still going to do my documentary and get out there because I was supposed to be rolling out this month to start doing some of the stuff, but I'm not able to because, again, I told you guys at the beginning of the year, January, all of January, the beginning of February, was pretty much a nightmare for my family. And so, like I said, still picking up the pieces, still picking up the pieces, but still putting together the documentary. And, you know, I need to set up some interviews for February when I know I'm going to be in the DMV New York area. And there are some people up there that I specifically want to talk with. And, um, you know, I think my idea for the documentary is excellent. There's a group of people that are right here um, with their own movement. And while I may not necessarily, well, I'm not even going to say that, I just don't agree with what they're saying and what they're doing and how they're going about it. But their voices need to be heard as well. So I'm going to include them in this documentary, and I'm going to talk with them about these things. And um, and we'll just go from there. So, um, you know, it's a lot that's going to come from that. I'm really excited. I actually wanted to have all of this done by, you know, May or June of 2020 and then push it out later on. But that's not going to be the case, you know. And then also one of the people that I'm going to interview, um, I actually really need to talk with him about 
you know, a relative of his and find out where his relative's papers are. I probably, you know, I've been looking around on Google. I just probably have to really buckle down to figure out what university has his papers because I I need to see his notes. So anyway, that's what's going on there. But yeah, if you really, you know, um, and, and I was talking about the religious people and especially white Christians, they call themselves patriots, you know, out here professing that Jesus is their savior, God is their God, and how, you know, they have to spend their entire lives redeeming themselves from the sin and all of that. But they're the first ones to say, well, I didn't, I didn't enslave your people. You know, I didn't create Jim Crow and all of these other things, but yet you benefit from it. But they seem to not be able to grasp that concept when it conveniently applies to them. When it conveniently applies to their parents and their grandparents, we got to remember, like with my mom, you know, they lived through Jim Crow. They lived through the Depression. You know, it was the tail end of the Depression when she was born. But nevertheless, you know, um, my grandmother, um, you know, her parents were slaves. So some of us are only two, three generations removed from enslaved people in this country. And then they had to go through, you know, Jim Crow and, and how, you know, Reconstruction failed them. You know, I mean, in Reconstruction came before Jim Crow, so I just thought I'd say that so I wouldn't have anyone emailing me, but I just I just brought it up. But, um, you know, even now, with the laws that they have, you know, the broken windows policing and all of that, which taught the young woman that was killed in Fort Worth, um, you know, let me see here, a tight a Tatiana Jefferson, you know, that's basically what they were doing, you know, when they were walking around her home and looking through the windows, that's, you know, that's part of what they call broken windows policing, right? And I need you guys to do some research on that to better understand how that came about and how that also played into the increase, the increasing of, you know, incarcerating black and brown people. And also, I need for you all to understand and to go back and do some research on the crime bill that, you know, they're basically, that Joe Biden helped to to create and to write. And this is one of the reasons why I will say I will not vote for Joe Biden. And if you go back and you look into some of the things that he said and he's done, he considers himself a moderate Democrat, which is republican light which is why a lot of the Republicans like him. Joe Biden is problematic. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of choices out there. And I wish Bernie Sanders a speedy recovery because those hard issues are no joke, no joke at all. But that needs to be taken into consideration, you know, what's happening with him there. And so, and I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, it could be one of the ones that are a little bit younger. 
if they're having heart issues, that needs to be taken into account, you know, because life happens and you have to be prepared. But as of right now, you know, my particular picks in this presidential race are Elizabeth Warren, Andrew Yang. And that's pretty much it. And that's not to say if one of the other ones were picked that I wouldn't support them. But that global charge chick, never, never, ever, ever. The Tulsi, nope, not going to happen. Um, Cory Booker, not in his lifetime. Um, Harris, man, you know, no, man, no. I'm, I just. Now, if they're vice presidential picks, it is what it is. Unless Joe Biden is, a, it's, I'm just outdone right now. You know, I don't feel that any of them are worthy. But what the hell do I know? So anyway, guys, you know, it's a lot that I want you to go and look up and pay attention to. Um, you know, again, this history, this information is a weapon. And I put this out there for you to empower yourself. And to learn, to educate yourself, you know, um, I do believe in people being autodidacts. And, you know, there's some autodidacts out here that will, you know, run a circle around, you know, some of these people out here with these PhDs. And, you know, I've said some things and, you know, and but the thing is, is that a lot of what I've said about some of these PhD recipients is true, you know, the way that the educational system is set up in this country is is horrific. And when you go to grad school, especially in that PhD track there, I honestly believe that it was set up to give you a damn nervous breakdown. But that's just my opinion of how they have that set up. But in addition to that, you know, looking at all of this and, you know, I was in school working towards some of this, and I had to take a step back, right? But basically, after I looked at it and did more research, I feel as though in America, the way they have the educational system set up is you're basically getting a PhD in white supremacy because that's the lens they are teaching you many of these things through. So how do you separate yourself from that? How, how you know, how do you... work the program that's given to you to get that PhD without becoming infected by the white supremacy that is taught in these courses, that the white supremacy that is expected of you to, to, to be able to say you're a part of that PhD crew. How does that work? How do you separate that? How do you maintain your sanity in that? How do you continue to consider yourself pro-black? Although all of these different disciplines, the majority of the different of these disciplines have been created and built off of black and brown communities. You know, specifically sociology. That entire program is built 
on and off the backs of black and brown folks. And I posted an article talking about why white people are able to get their PhDs, you know, talking about um, um, colonialism, you know, how they were able to kind of ease through it a little bit better than blacks. And one of the reasons that when black people read about that, you get re-traumatized or you find out things that you didn't know. And and it's, it's harder to get published. It's harder to write about that. It's harder to reset yourself and to distance yourself from that because that trauma for many of us is part of our lineage. It's a part of our family history. You know, and, and, you know, I just think about some of these things, you know, some of the things that my mom and I talked about, you know, that last year about how, you know, in Mississippi they didn't have doctors or dentists, particularly dentists, to help kids with issues they were having with their teeth and their gums. And, and, and that created some dental problems that they carried with them their entire lives, and and even some of the illnesses, those of you out there that are dealing with autoimmune issues, especially if you're dealing with underactive or overactive thyroid, you're dealing with the lupus and things like that, a lot of that has been passed down through the generations, and a lot of that stemmed from when black people were enslaved, and that even includes, you know, diabetes, and it includes hypertension, high blood pressure all of that stuff. And there are a couple of books. I bought a couple of books talking about um, what happens in the black community and, and what's been passed down to us. Medical apartheid talks about that, you know, in, in some aspects. It talks about that. And there are a couple of other books. I have to look them up because I haven't really had a chance to read them. I just kind of have them stored up. But it was talking about sickness and illness, especially on the slave ships. And then what was happening with the enslaved people in this country, it's important that we know that. And so I know there were some people that, you know, that were critical of Joy DeCrue, or DeCrue, DeCrue, um, with her post-traumatic slave um, um, theory, right? And I believe that there is some truth to some of that. You know, I believe that a lot of that trauma has been passed down. And so, you know, I hope there are people out there studying that. If you know of any resources, let me know. I'll read them, talk to them. But, you know, I'm over here working out my own shit, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, and um, what direction I want to go in because this year – it just felt like everything got turned upside down, but that's okay. But, again, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, basically wind this down. I'm wondering if I should just go into a little bit about how corporate America invented Christian America and basically how that was put in place to fight the New Deal because that's significant. And it's important for you guys to know that, especially with 45 in office. And, you know, him and Paul Ryan, and even though Paul Ryan, you know, retired or whatever the hell he's down there doing, you know, they were definite and Rand fans. And and they want to push people off 
of the federal register, if you will, in regards to, um, you know, um, the programs that are out there, like food stamps or LINK or SNAP, whatever they call them, um, you know, even Social Security. They want to push that away as well. And so with 45, you know, I had started in about this, about 45, and some of the things that they're putting in place, I talked about the Johnson Amendment, and I, I don't know, I hate when I do this because I get to rambling, but the other part of it that I need for you all to understand is that with these churches, these 501c3s, they're allowing them to become political action committees. And so it's a lot of money that's being funneled through the church, and you need to pay attention to that. But as I stated many years ago, and I still state to this day, that quite a bit of that is a trick because they know that the church in and of itself, white, black, red, purple, whatever color, they do not have the infrastructure in place to help the people, to help develop and implement these programs that are out there. So while they're trying to shut certain programs off, they're trying to push the money towards the churches. And in many times, in many cases, you know, some of these people just don't know what to do. They don't have the people there. But some of these folks are corrupt. And you just need to accept it for what it is because, you know, American Christianity is nothing but hyper-capitalism. And especially when you start talking about the word of faith aspect of it or the prosperity gospel, it's just really sickening, you know, and how they blame the poor for being poor and telling them how it's their fault and they created that situation. That's exactly how white supremacy works. And so when you hear me talk about how Christianity and even black Christians how they are re-indoctrinating themselves and others of white supremacy because that the religion, as it's taught in this country, is nothing but white supremacy. So let's not get it twisted. I don't want it to be lost on you that, you know, I do understand what's happening, and by no means am I a member of anybody's church. Not at all. You know, however... I do understand the needs and the desires of the people in the community. I see what's happening. I see about how these different laws and policies are on the books. I see how it's affecting people. But I also see the Christians, the black and brown ones and the white ones, and how they're capitalizing off of that, how they're benefiting from that, how they're playing on people's despair and hopelessness while telling them that their riches are stored up in heaven for them, but they're going to get theirs down here on earth because why shouldn't they have it? All the rappers and all the athletes and all them people have riches. Why shouldn't their pastor have it? But then when your pastor gets caught up in some bullshit and it's time for them to go to trial, well, that's a man of God. He's not one of those rappers or one of them athletes or idiots. But, you know, you can't have it both ways. And that's why I talk about the sickness of celebrity worship in this country. But it will be to your benefit, whether you are a believer or a non-believer, it will be to your benefit to understand how Jim Crow and white supremacy and racism and all these things have been tied into religion, how for the most part they're using religion as a shield. 
You know, and it's just really interesting in how you have some of these people that are trying to say that 45 is the second coming of Christ. And, you know, even he's starting to say that. And especially when he was talking about his wisdom and all of this shit. And I'm like, they have lost their minds. You all need to watch the family. You need to watch the family. Um, it's, 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 it's open your eyes. You know, and we shall see. But, you know, that's not only, you know, you know, with Christians or white Christians. You have some of these issues in the Muslim community. You have some of these issues in the atheist community. It's just funny to me because you have people in the atheist community pointing the finger at Christians and, you know, and balking and, you know, having taking absolute umbrage with some of the things happening over there or laughing and pointing at just the number. And the same shit is happening over here in the atheist community. And I hold atheists and humanists and you agnostics and all these folks, the faithiest, I hold you all accountable for this shit. Because you use the same argument. Oh, well, wait a minute. He's... He's an anti-theist. He's not an atheist. You know, remember that dude that killed those Muslim folks? You know, then the atheist community wanted to distance themselves from him. Well, he wasn't an atheist. He was an anti-theist and blah, 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 blah. You know, using the same no true Scotsman logical fallacy. And, you know, it's just interesting because you got people over here that they get angry and upset, especially if you say something about them. And then they want to say, but wait a minute, you know, there's an A in front. That means without. Like, you know, no one is arguing that. But that doesn't mean that your behavior, your actions aren't the same as the people that you're pointing the finger at. So I brought up David Silverman um, a little while ago, probably the last few shows. And so apparently the Atheist Alliance International has hired him as their executive director. That should not be a surprise, you know, because that's how this community works. You know, they're going to capitalize off of him, capitalize off of, you know, what he was able to achieve with American Atheists. And, you know, in regards to the accusations against him and all of that, you know, I find it interesting because you have a particular group of people in this community that once they've decided that you're the problem, you're the problem. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. You know, and, and it's just funny to me. The whole thing is funny to me because when it comes to someone that they like, you know, they want to write 12 blogs and all of that. And like I said, it ain't funny until, you know, it's funny until someone goes and hire Mr. and Mrs. Lawyer. Then all of a sudden, how dare you? You know, la 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 la. And it's just crazy, but yeah, it's the same old bullshit. And one of the things that I know that Raina and I, and me specifically, talked about quite a bit was the black nationalism and the white nationalism in the atheist community, and why they those two particular groups of people get along so well. So. Um, you know, and we talked about the racism and the pervasive racism and sexism um, in the atheist community. 
And I remember a couple of years ago, you know, dropping a little hint as to how some of these organizations and some of these people are being funded by some of the same Russian, you know, oligarchs that have funded, you know, a number of these Republicans. Because for many of you, you need to understand that there are quite a few atheists, mainly the white males, that consider themselves libertarians, specifically conservative libertarians. And so you have people like Sam Harris specifically who are playing into that pseudoscience, who claims to be viciously against identity politics, but yet wants to identify as an atheist. And you got people like Dave Silverman, who who basically is atheism or bust, but was trying to capitalize off of the humanist hashtag and the humanist movement because he was trying to find a place to fit in. And you have a number of people out there that are doing that. And let me go ahead. There is no such thing as an atheist humanist. Whoever told you that, they are lying to you. But whatever. And so, again, these some of these same people are fighting to keep themselves relevant. But, again, you need to be asking where is the money coming from? And then how much did your favorite people get paid off for? You know, getting a five, ten, fifteen, maybe even twenty thousand dollar donation from a white organization is bringing in ten, twenty, thirty million dollars a year in donations. You think you've done something? They've done just enough to keep you beholden to them. That is why I will not take these people's money, because I'm going to say what I have to say. But the thing is, is that, you know, these communities, you know, you have the atheist community pointing at the religious community, have the religious community pointing at the atheist community, and they're mirror images of each other, but they are a mirror image off of mainstream America. And so now you have people like Steve Bannon and um, Attorney General Barr that are outright attacking secularism. Now, what I don't understand, you know, is, again, you have these people that that will call you a social justice warrior. That term was coined by Richard Dawkins and is basically used as a pejorative, right, as a negative thing. If they call you a social justice warrior, that means basically they're mocking you, right? But you have some of these people that are social justice activists running around the secular community Going conferences in regards to social justice, but I don't see any work. Where the hell are you? You got Barr and Bannon and all of them, you know, basically declaring war on secularism. I can't wait to see what you don't do. And it's interesting when we started, you know, pulling back and I just eased all the way the fuck up how, you know, since then, the majority, well, pretty much all of these white organizations have not written any letters or statements talking about they condemn this action or condemn that action. A lot of that was happening because we were putting pressure on them. And then I eased up. I stopped giving a damn. Why? Because, you know, basically a number of the black and brown people were upset with me you know, the, the, they wanted that type of pressure to be put on, but they didn't like the way I said it. 
or how I did it, right, which I didn't give a fuck then, and I truly give less than a fuck now, but I pulled back to see who would take up the reins and who would do it. I'm still waiting because it all boils down to this. Most of these people don't give a damn on either side, whether it's religious or non-religious. And I can say most of them don't give a damn because the majority of them are white. And as long as it doesn't cost them anything and it doesn't cause them or their children or grandchildren any discomfort, they can take it or leave it. While at the same time, a lot of the black, brown, red, and yellow people that are, you know, um, participants in these communities, activists, whatever you want to call yourself, but if are members of this community or identify with them, you know, you're sitting there and you're watching all of this happen. But unfortunately, there are a few of you that they've convinced you into believing that you're different and that you're special. That's not true, but you have to learn this the hard way. Well, you have been learning it the hard way, but, you know, the big brunt of it isn't happening. So I said all of that to say this. They're getting ready to start attacking the secular community even more. I can see it. You know, they're already putting the gears in place. And so, again, me being me, I ain't going to say shit. I'm just going to sit back and watch it, and to a certain extent, I'm going to be over here laughing. Why? Because I have no dog in that fight anymore. So to me, now it's entertainment, it's amusement, and it is what it is. But it's important that you understand what you're involved in and how all of this shit ties together. Because even in the secular community, you have a certain segment, primarily white males, that center everything around them, and they benefit from these things. And so even with when I was talking about the Dave Silverman thing, you know, he's crying about his money and all of that. Look, white boy poor, wealthy white boy poor, a lot different than everyday people poor or black and brown poor. And you need to understand that. And you need to pay attention. And, you know, even in my documentary, even though I will be – putting a focus on the religious community, you know, I've expanded that. I'm going to put some of the focus on the secular community as well. So there's going to be some upset people. I get that, and I don't care. And I need for you to understand because it's coming your way. As a matter of fact, a couple of you I'm going to interview, and unfortunately, you know, you you may not be pleased. So um, just letting you know. So, all right. So, yeah, I just want you all to pay attention to what's happening out here, um, especially with what's happening with 45 now, what's happening with so-called Christian America, how it ties into the New Deal, and how they really want to push um, entitlement programs off of the federal registry. And they're trying to put that responsibility on the church, but the church does not have the subject matter experts, nor do they have the infrastructure to make this work. And because they are, there's no oversight, really, 
they're able to use those funds for whatever they want. And because you have 45 and people like that and with George W., how they overlooked a lot of these things, they, you know, they were able to use the money, you know, abuse, you know, um, misappropriation, just a number of things. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. Look it up. Find out um, what's happening. But, again, black people, black and brown people, stop stop with this forgiveness shit because they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn. You know, that, that domestic terrorist, they killed all those people in South Carolina at the church. He said he didn't want the forgiveness. He didn't care. And they don't. They just know that they can continue doing these things to our community and nothing will be done. And that's why I posted an article because, you know, yeah, some people out here saying, well, it's been years and, you know, there haven't been any, you know, uh, real massacres or whatever against the black community. I posted an article about, you know, the KKK massacring a bunch of black people in 1979. I think it's on all three of the pages. Go and look it up and read. This stuff has always happened, and it continues to happen now, except the difference between then and now is that instead of getting on a telephone and, and running up a $500 telephone bill, you have access to it on the Internet. And it's to your benefit to go out and read and find out, you know, there is a mass shooting in this country every day. You know, it's just that with 45 and some of these other people, they've basically put pressure on the media to not bring a lot of that out. You know, you have people out here, these different social movements that are still going on, and because you don't see it in the news, you think it's stopped or these people have gone away, and that's not necessarily the case. It's just that 45 didn't want it on the news. Why? Because it makes this country look bad, I guess, you know, and... um You know, I talked about what was happening over in Hong Kong. And, you know, and oh, and I said it was gently, it was actually Bruce Lee talking about the water taking on the form and the shape of whatever, you know, contains it. But, you know, you have issues not only going on over in Hong Kong, but you all need to check out what's happening over in Ecuador. They're still fighting in Haiti and a number of other places. This has not stopped. You know, so you still have people fighting. You still have these protests happening. And not only in other countries, even here in the United States, you know, even what happened in Puerto Rico, where they told the governor, you have to go. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. You know, if, if 45 gets away with this and they don't vote to impeach him and nothing comes of it, which to be honest with you, at this point, I don't think anything really is going to come from it. You know, right now, I'm just looking at the people, and I'm like, what the fuck? You know, now some people are like, Kim, well, what are you doing? Man, you know, I've done stuff. I've protested. I've given money. You know, I've used this platform. You know, I've assisted other people with things. And I will continue to do so at my own leisure. Why? Because basically I've come to the conclusion 
that it's best that I help people one-on-one as opposed to, you know, collaborating with top-heavy organizations. And and what I mean by that is, like, you have organizations like Salvation Army, you have Goodwill, you have a number, Red Cross, a number of them, and they're top-heavy. And what that means is the money basically goes to pay the salary and the lifestyle of the administration. And some of the money is given to the people, whereas I believe in being direct. You know, this is something that I was doing in Chicago, and I haven't had to do it here because in this town here, it's a little bit different. You know, there are plenty of resources out there for people to be able to take advantage of. And when I find new things, you know, find out about new services or services that most people don't know about, well, then I get to talking to them about it, and then I help people that way. And I introduce them to other people who can introduce them to other people. And we've, you know, we've really helped a couple of people get their lives together, right? And, you know, to me that's meaningful because you get to see them, you get to see the progress, you get to see the smiles. And, you know, you're in the middle of the grocery store, and you hear, Cam, and I'm looking around, and here they come, kids running up and hugging me. You know, so, I mean, that makes you feel good that, you know, you were able to help and and able to encourage. So, again, you know, not your Negro, not your kind of Negro that's going to sit by and just let you just slaughter people in any capacity. That's not going to happen, you know, and it's just interesting. But I just laugh. Because what's interesting for some of these people is sometimes they don't realize that they no longer have control of the situation. Like I said, things look a lot different when the rabbit has the gun. And the funniest thing is that sometimes when that happens, the hunter doesn't even realize what's going on or what's been set up for them. So anyway, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. I will be back next week, you know, and I'm going to do a show. This show was originally scheduled for 1 o'clock, but I was tired, so that's that. So I pushed it back, but we did it, got it done. All right, y'all, I'll post those links a little bit later, and I'll add them to the storyboard of the show. Take care. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.